Hello, everyone, and welcome to Patriots Perspective. I'm Taylor Kyles, along with my beautiful co-host, Bobby Kravitsky. As you probably noticed, this is a different show. I'm usually kind of in the background, not doing the intro. Uh, but given uh, what's going on in the country right now in terms of you know the systemic racism and police brutality towards the Black community that's really been at the forefront of the country the past week plus, we thought it was more important right now to discuss what's going on in the country and, you know, as much as we love football and as football centric as this show usually is, I know personally it's been tough to do anything football related, you know, because all this stuff is weighing on my mind personally. You open Twitter and you see all these different instances of just really upsetting videos um, that people need to see and understand what is going on and, you know, see the things that we need to be fighting against. Um, and yeah, you know, just, it's not going to be as football centric. It's really going to be on the issues and, uh, with that said, going to segue into our fantastic guest, Eric Crocker. He's a former NFL and AFL cornerback and founder of The Crocker Report, a fantastic unbecoming site featuring NFL draft scouting, analysis, consulting, and more. Eric's been a great resource for me. We've had a lot of discussions, you know, teaches me about the game and everything. And more than that, he's a fantastic person. Um, he's a great guy to follow. And uh, just open the floor for you, buddy. How are you doing on a human level? What's what's up with you? I'm good, man. Um I'm good. You know, I think I think, you know, more than anything right now it is a time for, you know, conversation. And, you know, that's what we're doing right now. You know, just talking, whether it's, you know, talking about football or talking about, you know, what's going on in the, uh, in the real world. You know what I'm saying? So, nah, I'm, you know, I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you guys doing? Doing well, Croc. Appreciate you taking the time to join us here. And like you said, it's an opportunity where we know that people need a reprieve at times. But the last thing that anyone can be doing is avoiding the issues. So Taylor came to me last week. He said, this is you know, an opportunity for us to use this platform to really have what I think today is gonna be a therapeutic type of episode. And you were the first person that came to mind to come on with us. So we appreciate you taking the time to join us. Ah, uh, man, I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. Absolutely. And for anybody who doesn't know, I just want to read the announcement that you made at the Crocker Report stating in a similar fashion, obviously you guys, you know, great platform. And I know it's not easy to, especially when you're kind of trying to set your place in a pretty big field to say, you know what, we're kind of taking a pause in light of everything. So to read that really quickly for anybody who didn't see, um, the statement is, we step away from our regular content production to pursue ways to amplify more important voices. We at Crocker Report ask you to join us and pledge in compassion. And together we can give a voice to change or I'm sorry, give change a voice. So can you explain what the idea was behind that? Because like we said, we decided it was more important to really pause football content and really try to find some way to use this time to really bring attention to issues that aren't new by any stretch of the imagination, but are that, you know, usually pushed back because they're uncomfortable discussions to have and because it's not really something that people are always enlightened to. So again, could you explain what your decision was and uh, the motivation behind it? Yeah, uh, you know, for me, I think like, you know, over some days, you know, days were going by, you know, all this was going on and I just had no drive at all to produce any type of football content. Like I didn't care about, you know, talking football. It reminded me, I don't, I don't want to compare it to losing a parent, but um, in 2013, when I was with the Jets, I remember I lost my dad, like during training camp. And at that point, like for somebody like me that loves football, I mean, my whole life <laughs> like it's football I got my wife who you know my wife would tell you she you know she she asked me like you know like do you love football more than me and I'm like no nah, man you know I love you guys the same you know like <laughs> and like I love football so much but I remember when my dad passed away and for that time like 
and shortly after that, like football just wasn't important to me anymore. Like, and I I couldn't understand why it was kind of a funk I was in, and you know I, I was in meetings and I wasn't paying attention. I was there, but wasn't really there. And this kind of reminded me of that. And this time I kind of like was able to see it kind of, you know, unfolding, like as far as like how I felt and understood how I felt in the past. And this time I was like, you know, I'm going to acknowledge how I feel. And, you know, right now let's not force anything with, you know, let's not force articles out. Let's not force football talk. Let's not have to, you know, try to meet these different deadlines and whatnot. Let's just take a step back, man. And, you know, whatever this time means for somebody else. I know for me, it, you know, I, I took time to have conversations with different people. I'm in Arkansas and uh, I've been um, working at this little spot and I, and there's this guy and kid, well, yeah, he's kind of a kid. He's like 20, 20 something years old, like 23, 24 years old. And I'm 33. So he's a kid. So, um, you know, I'm talking to this kid and I'm not a political person by any means, like by no means, like I'm not a political person. I, you know, I obviously I pay attention, you know, here and there to what's going on. And, you know, um, this, so this guy, he's a, he's a Republican. I'm in Arkansas, you know, Arkansas is a red state. And me being from California by nature, we have more of a democratic uh, mindset, you know, just the way that we think. And, you know, it's been really good having conversations with this guy who thinks totally different than I do, but just to have that conversation. And, you know, I've been able to hear out why, you know, these people, you know, the, the Republicans think the way that they think and, you know, why they push some of the things that they push. And then, you know, he's kind of heard my side of it as to why, you know, we are the way we are, whether it's in California, whether it's African-Americans, whether it was going on, uh, right now on all these streets, you know, with the protesting, it's being given like just perspective on both ends. And I and I think, you know, my decision to have myself and my writers kind of step away or to have conversations like that, you know, without having to think about, hey, what's my next article going to be? Right. And I think that's a perfect segue when you talk about having discussions and trying to understand someone else's perspective. Everything going on with Drew Brees, that whole saga, obviously, were his initial comments People said we're insensitive to uh, the whole issue in terms of putting about more value to the flag and more importance to that than the lives that are lost and the reasons that Kaepernick and Eric Reed and all these people are fighting for racial injustice. So can you give me, I know you're not a big political person. Honestly, I'm not either. This is just kind of something where it's hard to avoid the news. And I think it's important to stay informed in everything to a certain degree. So can you give your take on the whole Drew Brees saga, you know, what he initially said, his first apology, his second apology, and um, how you think he really addressed the situation, especially at the end where I personally think that although I think there were speed bumps and I think there were moments of insensitivity, I think he at least tried to make an effort, especially going right to Donald Trump and tagging him and being like, you know, for lack of a better phrasing, bro, you need to chill with this. Like you are not understanding the issue. I didn't either. It's time to sit down, shut up and really listen when people are trying to tell you that they're hurting. So what was your thought on that whole situation? Yeah. Um, I don't think of this as like a political thing. I think of this as like just real life. You know what I'm saying? So like, um, Donald Trump, he, uh, without getting political, like just Donald Trump as a person, not, you know, the president and what he, but he's kind of a troll, you know? So, uh, you know, we've seen it with, um, you know, I'm a 49er fan and we all know Nick Bosa and some of the tweets that he had put out. Well, you know, when Nick Bosa gets drafted to the 49ers where a lot of this stuff started, like first thing Donald Trump does is tweet him and talk about how, you know, oh, you know, great America, you know, all that type of stuff. So you know he likes to troll people and kind of ruffle feathers. 
So when he saw this, you know, whole Drew, Drew Brees thing unfold, he took that as the opportunity to. I think most people, if you're looking at again, look two sides of the coin, right? I, I have my perspective, and other people have their perspective. But I I looked at it as Donald Trump took this as an opportunity to troll and kind of you know pound his chest a little bit, which he's known to do, which we all are at times, right? We all have times where you know we want to like, oh, I told you so, or you know, hey, I like the way you think, and. Um, he took that opportunity to kind of, um, quote unquote, back uh, uh, Drew Brees, who was taking a lot of heat from you know the media and players and stuff like that. Uh, so as far as Donald Trump, like I, I get it. So it was big of of Drew Brees to kind of tag him and say, hey, like you know, I need to look more into this, and you know, I've I've been sent down with my teammates and we've been having discussions and stuff like that. I thought that was big of Drew Brees. Uh, from you know, in general, how I viewed it was <clears throat> we and you guys have all everybody by this time you guys have all heard just different you know uh uh the way different people think about this but uh my personal opinion is at the end of the day man we we all have you know family members that have fought in war mm-hmm. and you know I my my grandpa he fought in war you know mm-hmm. uh my my cousin you know I have a couple cousins you know they've done multiple tours in in Iraq you know, so they're fighting for the same thing. Uh, I, I felt like when he did it, it did. I don't want to say it came off as insensitive, but yeah, it came off a little insensitive in the sense of like, it's like, Drew, you're making it about you, mm-hmm. you know, and this was supposed to be, you know, the question was enlarged about what's going on and how different people might t- take it. I, I think, and I don't want to say like, oh, you should have done this or you should have done that because that's what people are doing to Colin Kaepernick, right? It's like, hey, Colin Kaepernick, you shouldn't protest during this time. Like, pick another time. So I don't want to do that to Drew Brees. But if I were in his shoes, I would have tried to make it more about, hey, like, I'm still going to continue to stand, but if my teammates choose, then that's what they do. You know what I'm saying? Like, And I support their reasoning for it, but I'm still going to do what I do and stand, and these are the reasons why. I think more people would have probably... Uh, respected that more. But again, I don't want to tell someone how they should do things because I think that's why we're here now. People try to tell Colin Kaepernick how he's supposed to protest and it took away the 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 meaning <clears throat> why why he was doing it. Um and instead people were looking at how he did it and they made more that more of the focal point. Yeah, yeah. I think the difference is that people didn't want to I should say people who wanted to resist the reasons that Kaepernick was protesting and the message he wanted to get across, they didn't want to hear it no matter how it was delivered to them. Whereas with Drew Brees, what you've seen is that society by and large is, you know, they were rightfully so quick to to jump on him and show him the error of his ways, but are now willing to listen to him and embrace him as he tries to make such an effort and like taylor said there's been some speed bumps along the way not every step he's taken since apologizing has been perfect but society has been there to to show support and that's so important because in the beginning it was such a shocking lack of empathy and he wasn't asked about the flag he brought that up on his own right and so it rightfully so produced so much anger and some surprise for so many of his teammates. Malcolm Jenkins posted a video where he was crying because he was so hurt by it. And then you see Drew Brees start to make this effort to 
to apologize. And so it's like on one hand, you can't help but notice that he didn't seem to open his eyes to the issues and what was going on and what Cap was protesting until it started to directly affect him and his brand. But he's now this prime example of how we have to educate the ignorant. We can't just turn them into outcasts. So mm-hmm. that's good to see that even though Drew Brees, again, not every step has been perfect along the way here, but to just understand that, you know, this is how we need to tr- treat people and let them know that it's okay if you speak up and you show that your heart is in the right place, but maybe for whatever reason, you don't fully grasp what's going on. That's okay because we need to know who needs to be educated here. And so Drew Brees being someone who is of influence, having him, you know, come full circle on this issue. I, I think ultimately what we've seen here, certainly those those raw emotions from when he first spoke out are still there. Those take time to subside. But ultimately, I think this situation has been more positive than negative. Yeah, I think he did a terrible job reading the room. You know, you you yeah. you got to know, like, you know, what who who your teammates are, what they're fighting for. So, yeah, like from that from that standpoint, you know, it's the it was the way that he said it with the conviction that he said it is like, I I I wouldn't do that, <laughs> Drew Brees. But again, you know, back to like what I originally said, I don't want to tell Drew Brees, you know, what to say, how to say it. I, I think uh he had a lot of years to kind of figure out, you know, what's going on. He had a lot of years to educate himself. I know there are a lot of people who are coming out saying, you know, oh, he's racist and all that. Like Drew Brees is not racist, man. He's done more for New Orleans and the people of New Orleans than anyone, uh, you know, and every race, you know, he, he's a great man, you know, uh, it's just, he was a little uneducated. I don't even want to say uneducated because it's like, you're too smart of a man to not know. Like he knows, um, he just chose at that time to really go with, I guess maybe even more so be a little bit more stubborn. And I think that was, that, that was where he, you know, in the eyes of the public went wrong. And obviously he's backpedaled, like uh, one of the best best backpedals I've ever seen. Uh, But it's been good. It's been good that he's been willing to, you know, kind of educate himself and maybe change his stance on it. Uh, Again, from the jump, I I think it was just, hey, you want to, if you want to stand and you, great, like do that. I I think it just would have been good for his teammates as well. Because like you said, you you talked about Malcolm Jenkins and, some of the issues that he 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 spoke about in his when he released his video and a lot of it was basically he felt like Drew you don't have my back and I think that was the most more ho- uh, hurtful part about the whole thing like when you feel like the person next to you the person that you have to fight with you know the person you have to work with when you feel like that person doesn't have your back especially in your personal life you know that's a little tough because you know I just watched uh, uh, little clips of like remember the Titans. And remember where they started at, and then to the end where the 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 uh, one was it the the officer lineman one was paralyzed, mm-hmm. and how you know the 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 black dude went to the mom and was like, you know, I'm sorry, and he was crying. You know what I'm saying? Like he knew, like they knew at that moment, like that dude had his their son's back on and off of the field. Brother. I think with this with Drew Brees, it was like, yeah, I got y'all back on the field. But when it's off the field, like, I'm going to go back and I really don't care about what's going on with you guys 
or how you know or how you guys feel like you have to go about fixing it. I don't care about none of that. And that was kind of how it came off. I'm not saying that's how he felt, but that was how it came off. And clearly that was how it came off to uh Jenkins. And I think it's a huge case study in you know this whole Black Lives Matters movement. Obviously, a big part of it is you want to call out the racism and the bigotry in the country, but at the same time, you don't want to you know, cast out people who could potentially be allies. Everyone loves, I think, especially now with cancel culture and everything, people love to throw racist out and they love to, you know, completely tear someone down. But a lot of the times, like in Drew Brees' case, like you said, he does so much for the community. It's not that he doesn't like black people or anything like that. It's just that people can have glaring blind spots. Their priorities can be in a relatively poor place where you start to value the things in your life and your own experiences more than that of other people. So it's that empathy. It's, and it's two ways. It's not just about someone listening to your case and understanding you and opening their heart. You got to do the same and understand that sometimes someone's coming from a place where they were raised to think one way that in the grand scheme of things, when you're talking about you know, humanity and people who have struggled in situations you don't understand, it's hard to understand and really empathize with people when you have no idea what they're, what it's like to walk right. in their And I think that when, like, the video of Malcolm Jenkins and all of the teammates and all the people in the NFL and all the people in, you know, in the world who reached out and expressed how hurt they were, I don't think any of us really believed that that was in Drew Brees' heart, that he didn't care about these people, but I think he just didn't understand it to the you know, degree that he maybe should have. And although it's easy to say he backtracked and, you know, people assume, well, if you're backtracking, you don't mean it. People learn, people change, people grow. And you can't, you know, you're not born knowing these things. You have to learn them through experience or just by listening. And I think he's done a great job of that. Have you been in the NFL, AFL, as we said, even in college, have you ever encountered something like this in a locker room? No names or anything, you know, I don't want to get too crazy like that. But have there ever been any situations where you felt like there were any maybe not racial tensions, but there was a very palpable feeling that there was a lack of communication or understanding and maybe some way that you guys bridge that, or is it more just, you know, once you guys are in the locker room, you're really just a band of brothers. And as important as those things are, you really just see each other in a different perspective. Uh, you know, I think the, the, the thing that kind of like, as you're, as you were asking the question, I just started thinking about like my different experiences and a lot of times the personal life doesn't come up as much in the locker room. You know, you talk about stuff on the field, you see guys that you know, but you know, everybody, you know, you can have teammates and and they're fine, but a lot of times you don't really know exactly like well, who they personally are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who the football player is and you have those type of interactions and I haven't had any issues from that standpoint. Now outside of that, you know, the people that you kick it with, you know, uh, at home, that's who you, whoever your click is, you know, you click up with, certain teammates and stuff like that. It, it could be, a, a, you know, white guys or or black guys. There were black teammates I had that, you know, I'm cool with them on the field and in the locker room and everything, but maybe, you know, at home, I don't kick it with them. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to truly know who somebody is um, until you hear something like, you know, Drew Brees speaking out into the media where, now this doesn't have anything to do with a playbook or a team that you're about to play. This is about, like, real life. And I don't think my teammates or myself – were ever in a position to kind of make those type of statements. So I never, yeah, we never had any issues like that in the locker room. Um, I thought the locker room was always good uh, no matter where I was at, uh, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. But I'm pretty sure if these type of conversations did come up back then, I did play on teams where then I truly would start to know exactly who somebody is and maybe if they thought differently and maybe if there was conversation that uh, needed to be had. But we, I just, I don't think I was ever in that position. 
And with all the attention right now on the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, in the NFL and obviously outside, you've got a lot of people who are very vocal about the causes and wanting to fight <clears throat> and all these things. And as you said on the Croc Report, you were trying to spread awareness and, you know, uh, try to get people more of a voice. So if you have any or if maybe you've learned more since in the past week or so with everything going on, what is your connection to the Black Lives Matter movement? Any thoughts you have on it and anything that you may have learned recently about it? You know, a couple of people, so there have been, again, I, I try to, I think with anything, okay, so football, right? I, I speak in football language most of the time. So with, with myself, I, you know, I'm a cornerback or I was a cornerback and I'll have my way of doing things, but I, I know not everybody coaches or teaches or sees the film the same way that I do. So I'm always willing to listen to other um other sides of the coin, whether it's a receiver who's on the opposite side of the ball or whether it's another cornerback coach or, you know, or, you know, whatever, another DB. And, you know, we'll talk about different ways that they like to do things. And I might talk about things that I like to do. So again, going back to the guy that I've been working with, you know, his thing is on black life matter matters. He's like, Oh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, they're, they're just trying to push this agenda. Like black lives matters. They have an underlining, uh, uh, agenda that they're trying to push from a political standpoint, like that's his outlook on it, on Black Lives Matters, uh, where it's a group that's trying to push a certain thing. I have another guy uh, who on Twitter, he was in my my mentions and he was saying basically like, oh, uh, what's the issue with Drew Brees? Is it because he won't subscribe to the Black Lives Matters religion? And I'm like, well, what's the Black Lives Matters like religion? Like, what is that? And he's like, oh, don't play dumb. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm like, dude, like one, I hate, like, I know it's Twitter, but that's probably the thing that frustrates me the most is don't, don't, I treat everybody with respect. Mm -hmm. So I, I would like to be treated with that same respect because where I'm from, like, where if you want to take it to a different level, like we do that, you know what I'm saying? So I try to like, Hey, let's just be respectful. It's Twitter. But, um, you know, I realized that different people have their out, like their outlooks on black lives matter. Now, this is my perspective. Again, me not being like the political person, um, me, uh, how I live life and in, in, in the, in the way that I go about things is, I, I strongly believe in treat people how you want to be treated. And I do that as well. Like there's not one person that can say, man, Eric Crocker, he didn't treat me good. You know, I've always been like that. Um, I saw a guy, you know, a white guy the other day, his car went dead and I helped, you know, I got out and helped him push his car to the, you know, to the next little uh, parking lot so he can, you know, be in a safer spot because I would hope that somebody would do that for me if I were in the same position. Uh, with that being said, as far as Black Lives Matters go, um, I just look at it from a broad, uh, a bigger scale. And all it's saying to me is that, hey, you know, there are things that are happening right now and our, our lives matter as well, you know, um, basically meaning like, you know, there's not one life that's bigger than the next. That's just how I personally view it. And I think it's uh, it's just a rally cry to kind of get people behind, um, you know, hopefully, you know, helping treat black people a little bit better. That's just my, how I think. And that was how I looked at it. I never looked at it as like a cult or religion or anything with, uh, or people with some type of uh, random agenda. It was all about, hey, let's treat everybody uh, how you would want to be treated, including black people. And that was how that was my perspective on it. Yeah, Croc, like you said earlier, and then just touched on right there, it's not a political issue. So when you talk about the person you know in Arkansas who says, 
well, this is an agenda. Well, I don't mean this in the spirit that he's saying it, but he's right. This is an agenda. This is a push for equality and to show that you know we are all united and that everyone's entitled to live in the same America because we hear all the time that line that there's two different Americas. And so this push is because we can't go back to quote unquote, what's been normal for black people, brown people, minorities as a whole in this country. We have to to create a new reality and finally level the playing field to use kind of a corny sports expression there. And to just, you know, it's about showing that, you know, it's about providing change and reshaping this country and all the systemic oppression and the different tentacles that have been used to suppress people. And so that's, you know, you look at what's going on in Minnesota where they abolished the police force. And for people who aren't familiar with what's gone on in Camden, New Jersey, it went from being one of the most violent places to live by statistics at least. And then in 2013, they did the same. So this is a page out of their playbook and the homicide rate dropped dramatically. The rate of complaints about excessive use of force from police officers dropped dramatically. And so there are still some concerns. You know, I don't think any system can be perfect because it can be manipulated by anyone. Like for example, there's uh, there's been a spike in low level crime charges and petty summonses, which financially, if you don't have the money and you get charged you know, $500, let's say, that can be devastating and tough to recover from. So it's not that this new system and what they've adopted here in Minnesota is perfect, but it's certainly, you know, if you just look at what's happened in Camden, each city might be different, but there are so many positives that can come out of this and in other places have come out of an approach like this on top of what you can do, reallocating funds that have gone into police forces around the country and putting it into education and healthcare and just growing businesses in each community. So, so much good can come out of this as long as we continue this movement. And it's not just treated like it's a, it's a fad. And in a couple of weeks, people go back to living their lives and forget about this. Like this was just the flavor of May and June. It needs to be something that carries through now to the, to the boat, to the booth, excuse me, when everyone's voting and can really, dramatically reshape this country. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think you had said something in like what's normal to one person and you know other people might not see it. There, there was an incident I had tweeted about it. Uh, when I was coming home from college, it was myself and uh, one of my teammates. Uh, we're both from California. So we're, we're driving and uh, we get it. It was like right when you pass through, I don't know if you guys have ever drove across states, um, but especially like um, California, you know, they always think that people are like smuggling drugs in. So you go through this like little um, thing where they just ask you like, where are you going? Where are you coming from? You know, and there's like a dog. So like if you have like marijuana or any type of drugs, the dog can smell, sniff out it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we pass through and as we're passing through, I noticed the police on the side and as soon as we drive through, they get behind us. Right. And my buddy at this time, he he, he was the one driving. It was my car. And at this time, I had like this, uh, it was a cool car, uh, but, you know, windows were tinted, 22-inch rims, all that. So uh, I don't know if it was just maybe because of the way my car looked. That's why they started to pursue us or whatever. But my guy's driving. The cop gets behind us, and he's driving. And they're not pulling this over. I mean, we drive for a few miles. And then all of a sudden, they flash the lights. And um, so I'm like, all right, you know, man, just get over. So he gets over. 
And the cop, you know, comes to the window and he's like, you know, license and registration. So he gives him the license. I, I make sure I grab the registration for my guy. We're not thinking anything of it. We didn't feel like we did anything wrong. Worst case scenario, they give me a ticket for my windows or something. You know, I don't know. So for window 10. So um, they come back to the car. Everything checked out good. And then they ask him or, you know, the, or they ask us and they say, hey, are you guys hiding a gun? We're like, hiding a gun? Like, nah, man, like, we're coming back from college. Like, you know, we have all our stuff, you know, in the, in the back of because we're, we're going home for Christmas break. So we have a bunch of, you know, our, our stuff. And he's like, yeah, you guys hiding a gun? We're like, nah, man, we're not, not hiding any gun. <laughs> and he's like, are you sure? Yeah, we're pretty sure. And he's like, well, you swerved uh, getting over. And we're like, swerved? Like, man, what are you talking about? And he was like, so are you sure there's no gun? I'm like, dude, there's no gun. So at this point, I'm, I'm starting to think like, okay, I don't know what this dude is going through or what his issue is right now. I actually know my rights because I, uh, I, I took criminal justice classes. So I knew I didn't have to like let him like search my vehicle, but just to kind of speed up this thing, it was, I mean, it's probably like 2 a.m. We've been on the road for over 20 hours, you know, driving home. So I said, you know what, man, like if you want, you, you know, you can, you can search our vehicle. Like we'll step out. You can search the vehicle. I know I don't have to give him that right, but I did. And he's like, all right. So he's like, okay, you guys, he was like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. Like just search the car so we can go. So, uh, you know, we're treating them with respect. We knew that they were very uh, kind of pushy with them thinking that we had a gun in the car. So we get out. They put us in handcuffs. Well, I, was, I wasn't expecting that part when I when I had told them that they could search our car. So I think it's normal procedure. You probably don't want people bomb rushing you while you're searching their vehicle. So, but just for people that were so, we were so easygoing. We were so like accommodating to them with something that they didn't even have to do or I had to let them do. You know, they handcuffed us and they put us in the back of the cop car and they um, they searched through uh, my entire vehicle. Couldn't find anything. Right. Couldn't find anything, uh, which we didn't have a gun. We didn't have any pistols in the car. Or anything. So he comes back and he's like, why do you have a bunch of these? And he and he grabbed and he held up a, a, the smell good little trees, you know, yeah. that you bring your car, wash your car. So me, I always put mine under the seat. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I want people to smell them. I don't want people to see them. So I just put them under the seat. So I probably have like 15 of them under my seat. So he was like, oh, this is very suspicious. And I'm like, dude, they smell good things I put in after I wash my car. And I wash my car like every week. <laughs> so it's like, you know, and he was just like, nah, this is suspicious. Like, are you guys sure you don't have a gun in the car? And we're like, dude, we let you go through the whole thing, let you go through everything. And I just, haven't found like, there's, there's nothing. And it's like he's trying to get me to like tell myself about something that I don't have. So eventually they just let us go. Didn't give us a ticket, no warning, anything. Just let us go. Um, I think the part that's interesting about that whole thing, there are two things when you talk about like being like things that are normal. One, I never thought to tell anybody. Like I never thought to tell my mom. Like I think if that was something that I felt like doesn't happen or whatever, um, then I would first thing I did, mom, man, guess what just happened? Like the cops pulled me over and they did this and they did that. But because I felt like it was something that probably happens to a lot of people, I, I, I didn't even think to call my mom and tell her about this incident. And um, I still haven't even told my mom. <laughs> yeah, I've told Twitter before I told my mom. I hope she checks this episode. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, you know, just, just from that per, per perspective, and then I talked to, you know, the guy I work with about that, and he's like, man, like, you know, I've cussed cops out and I've done all type of stuff, and I never even thought 
that, like, you know, I never even would have expected anything like that to kind of happen to me where the police pull me over and they're trying to poke and pry for me to give them a gun or, you know, and if I didn't talk to them with respect, what would happen next? Because that's what I would think too, like with how they were poking and prying at me, if I didn't talk to them with respect, how what, how would they would have treated myself and my teammate, mm -hmm. you know, compared to another guy who can get away with just cussing the cop out and saying whatever he wants and with no thoughts of any type of, type of ramifications, you know what I'm saying? So I know that's kind of like a long little spiel, but I just want to talk about like how, you know, the differences between what's normal and what's not normal, me thinking this is normal and it happens to people and not even thinking it was out of the ordinary enough to call my mom and tell her what happened compared to somebody who feels like, man, I can cuss the cop out and do whatever without any thought of anything like that ever happening to me. And that's just, you know, that's not me getting killed or anything like that. That's just something that probably happens a lot. When people talk about, oh, this is just one incident with this person um, getting killed and, and whatnot, or this is just one off with this cop and all that. But what about the types times where people aren't getting uh, killed, but they're just getting harassed right. like I did. You know what I'm saying? Like those are things that happen a lot, I'm sure. And I mean, I'm sure, you know, you know, when you're black growing up in this country, most kids have the talk where, you know, it's like if you are ever pulled over or you will ever interact with a cop, you are respectful. You make sure that, you know, you don't do anything crazy. You don't talk back. You just, you know, you have to have that mindset. I know I was taught that by my dad. My dad was a Marine and he's, he's been telling me since I was a kid, just because someone's in a uniform does not mean that they deserve your trust. You treat them with respect. You are cordial, but that does not mean that you are in the clear or anything like that. Cause I do not know a single black man, my dad, my stepdad, anybody who hasn't had some type of uncomfortable or scary interaction with a police officer. Not like you said, not getting like killed or anything drastic or tragic but just a situation where you're uncomfortable because a law enforcement officer who's supposed to be there to protect you and make sure that you're okay is putting you in a position to feel like a criminal and i know personally like i've never had any encounters like that i don't drive so i'm i'm sure that's part of it as well but i know you know just when i'm around police officers there's a little bit of that feeling where i'm like i need to make sure i'm on my p's and q's i know my white friends always say like dude you're being dramatic like relax he's not looking at you or anything like that but i'm like yeah i'm paranoid because every single black man or black person i've ever met he was you know older than me not kids or anything but all my elders have been telling me that this stuff happens you think it's not real you think it's a joke or you know it's not going to happen to you it is going to happen to you and when you hear that and it's reinforced with people who've experienced it it's kind of hard to just say you know oh you know it is just this one incident especially nowadays when you're seeing on videotape it's not even just black people you just see you know uh, people in power who are in the minority. I think it's very important. And I want to, you know, point out that the vast majority of police officers, I think do their jobs correctly and are there for the right reasons to protect us. But you have that, that loud minority who's not doing the right thing, who are using their power to be bullies and to make people uncomfortable and to put them in a position where they don't feel safe around people who they should feel safe around. So, I mean, just to that point, like you said, man, it's, it's it's a difference of perspective where being a black person in this country, you kind of have to live by a different code that some people may think is dramatic, but that's just the reality we face. And I think it's important that all these things are happening now. So it's giving more of a voice and a platform for issues that have been going around since before we were born, you know, our grandparents and their grandparents were dealing with this stuff in this country, but with, you know, there's no segregation or anything anymore. And it's more quiet racism now. It's louder in the past few weeks, but all these things that have been suppressed for so long are finally starting to come to the forefront. So people understand that we're not being, we're not exaggerating. It really is different when you look different in this country, when you're not really the quote unquote default. Um, 
So, Bobby, if there's anything else you want to say, Croc, I know you're a busy, man. I don't want to, you know, just rant and hold you. Oh, too. yeah, no, you're good. You're, you're, you're good. I think this, you you touched on something about the conversation. And the crazy thing is I never nobody ever had that conversation with me about how to be with the police and stuff like that. I, I think for me, more so, um, I've always just been an extremely uh, respectable person. Like I remember this one lady was like, you were raised by your grandparents. Huh? And I was like, yeah, like my, my grandparents had a huge influence on like how I am. So I think that might have something to do with this. So. You know, even then, I was just always aware, like, just treat, like I said, treat people how you want to be treated. So, you know, whether it's the police or anyone else, I was always going to talk to them with the utmost respect. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I I wish maybe, maybe you know, I saw things and I just always know, like, I don't want that to happen to me. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- whatever it is. And I do. I am a true believer. True, if you're if you I got I don't want to get too like. But but basically, do everything that you can do, like, right. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, you know, don't run from the police. Don't, you know, just yes, sir, no, sir. Even if they start to get a little bit more aggressive with you, just try to be as calm and, and collective as possible um, because you don't want to give them any reason to for things to go the other way. And obviously, we've seen things go that way. And a lot of times, I don't want to say that we could have prevented, uh, maybe we could have prevent a death. You know, maybe, uh, and I think sometimes, I think my biggest issue with what's going on right now is the fact that these things are resulting in somebody's life lost. That That's the big, that's the issue to me. Um, I, I think, you know, sometimes we do put ourselves, I don't want to say put ourselves in position to get killed, but we put ourselves in position to, you know, maybe a cop has to be a little bit more forceful like and not not in all all cases, but in the sense of like you know, hey, like just do this or do that, like you know, just hand over your even if it's not right, hand over your ID or just hand over your license or just yes sir, okay, I'll speak, okay, like and even if it's not right, like I'm not saying that that's right, but you know, just if if we kind of go th- about things that way and don't get aggressive back, it won't result in a a, a life loss. But again, I, I don't think I that's what I think is wrong. There's no way possible that. You should be getting, you know, uh, arrested or detained for uh, a ticket or a falsified check or whatever the you know situation is, and then all of a sudden I'm dead. Like there's no way, like there's no way that that should happen. But I think uh, Colin Kaepernick, he's been doing these uh, know your rights camps, and I think he's been trying to educate uh, minorities on these scenarios so they know how to handle themselves in this because clearly you know, these things can result in, in people dying. And then, the, and then the bigger thing on that is there have been a lot of people that aren't being held accountable for it. And, and that's, that's the issue. I think even with Colin Kaepernick, Colin Kaepernick never said, Oh man, uh, you know, the issue is, you know, this guy's running from the cops and then he gets shot and oh, I'm mad at that. Like the bigger issue is, yeah, he ran from the cops. He should be detained, but he's getting killed. Like this is cold blooded murder. And nobody's getting held accountable for it. Like that, that was the one of the things that, that Colin Kaepernick originally said. Like there are people getting murdered in the streets, just like the situation with George Floyd, where like that same incident a few years ago maybe would have been uh kind of swept under the rug. And um, you know, we've had a we had a, a incident in the Bay Area, Oscar Grant, where you know, he's at the BART station, you know, they made a movie on it and and you know the police is has him detained. He's on the ground, arrested, everything. And then 
he gets shot and he gets killed and nobody gets held accountable for it. Like that's the issue. Mm-hmm. You know, we're losing our lives and nobody's being held accountable for any of this stuff. And that's the infuriating part. I'm not saying that when if they are held accountable, it makes you feel any better, but at least you feel like there is some type of justice. And maybe if other people see, damn, I need to be on my stuff or I'm going to be getting locked away, I think they'd be less likely to maybe pull the trigger and maybe think about what they're doing or what they're grabbing before they do it, and that might save lives. And and I think that's where it all comes full circle with Black Lives Matter. That's just my opinion on, on all that. Yeah, I know. Croc, you made so many great points there and covered so much ground. I would just say that it's a horrific reality that there's so many instances where someone does nothing wrong, gets pulled over for racial profiling, treats the cops exactly how you should if you're in that situation. And yet not only are there instances where People in that case, again, they haven't even done anything wrong to be pulled over in the first place. They're harassed. You know, it's like if you're lucky, it stops there and you just try to like shake it off and cope with it moving forward. But there's instances where people lose their lives over having done nothing wrong. And it's it's why we need change. And it speaks to, to so much. It's hard even in just this show to get to, to everything that's rooted in. But one of the the things that's obvious is that there are cops who they they project things that aren't there when they look at a black person. And so if you put a, a black citizen and a white citizen in the same situation with a police officer, it just, I mean, I don't have the numbers, but it certainly seems like there there's a, a very real chance and it's more likely that they might treat the white individual as less threatening to them than how they perceive a black individual. And so that speaks to to training and so many different things and being able to properly handle a situation and de-escalate it. And there are so many officers who that statement applies to. And like Taylor said, it's not all of them, but for the ones who that description matches up with, you know, it's just this idea that all of a sudden they carried their, their beliefs and their thoughts and their feelings into becoming officers. And now they have a badge and a gun and they're so heavily protected in the court system and so I hope I pronounced this individual's name right, um, Matt Verderame from Fanside. He's an NFL reporter. And one of the things that he threw out there, and this is a quote now, he said, an idea is that police officers should need a four-year degree in criminal justice. You talked about taking classes in college and how that helped you. There should be mandatory courses in de-escalation, mental health, coping, et cetera. This isn't only for public safety. It's to help the officers. It's also to weed out kids who are mad and want authority. And so that covers a lot of ground right there as well. But also, you know, earlier I referenced what's going on in Minnesota now and them abolishing their police force. And one of the, the impacts of that is that you have people psychologists, psychiatrists, for example, people who get brought to show up on site to dangerous situations who are trained in dealing with them as opposed to a police officer who's not, who handles it the wrong way, who can't handle someone who, you know, for example, has a, a, um, you know, like a, a, a disability, for example, you know, forgive me for speaking off color there, but just trying to come up with the, the right term in the moment, but someone who has a, a quote unquote, a handicap for that makes it harder to communicate in a way that you and I might. And a police officer 
is ill-equipped to deal with that situation and ends up using excessive force and has costly repercussions for it. So there are people, you know, one, they need that training, but two, there are people who we don't need to cough up more of our hard-earned dollars so that they can go on the scene and put their degree to good use in that situation to handle it properly. Yeah, I I think the issue that you were running to to there is, you know, like, is the police force going to, you know, pay for these degrees? You know what I'm saying? Like, and if not, then, you know, you'll have a shortage of, of police officers. I think one thing that you you touched on with saying, like, you know, when the cop, say, goes up to the window and he sees a black guy and a white guy, he might be feel different about handling those, you know, the way he handles those situations might be different um, just from a mental standpoint. I think it really goes back a lot of years. I think it's even in the Bible where um, dark is evil. You know what I'm saying? White is, like, more heavenly. And I think that's sometimes that's how people see humans and that's how humans were depicted like you know a lot of years ago where you see dark skin that's evil that's bad that's not as uh equal compared to someone that's more fair skin so uh i think we have to like retrain the way that we we see colors and there's going to be a lot of um people that you know they don't look at black as beautiful you know what i'm saying like white people people don't like the you know they don't walk in the house and see just a dark room with all black furniture, right? They like seeing the the naturally lit room with the white furniture. And, oh, it looks so nice. You know what I'm saying? Like when people have the 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 room in the house that you can't sit on, it's, it's usually white, right? It's like, oh, don't sit on that white furniture in that room because it's so nice, right? So I think we have to kind of train our our uh, minds to think a little bit different. And and I think uh, like this goes back a lot of years just with how we perceive the two colors. Even like I was watching actually this morning the Muhammad Ali video where he's talking about how he grew up and the difference between black and white. And he was telling his mom like how devil's food cake is black, angel cake is white. You know, the black sheep uh, was the worst sheep and how the president lives in the White House and how just, you know, in every way that we're taught, even as children, before we really know the gravity of it, you're really taught that white is right and black is black. So, I, I mean, yeah, you, you see it from such an institutionally kind of uh, ingrained place. So again, just to kind of wrap all this up, I think it is so important to have this communication, this open line of dialogue where, you know, it's not just about black people speaking their experiences. It's also about white people coming to the table and being like, hey, I'm ignorant to what you're going through. I don't understand what it's like to be you in this country, but I'm all ears. I want to know. I want to know how I can help. And then black people in turn being open to that and understanding that even though this person may say or have lived some life that you don't agree with, if they show an honest effort to try to make that change and to try to empathize with you, I think it's important that we all open our hearts up with as much patience as we have to try to, you know, bridge these gaps and have some level of understanding. So thank you again, Eric, so much for coming on. Uh, Give you the floor right now. If there's anything you want to promote, anything else you'd like to say, you're more than free to. Yeah, no, you guys, uh, you know, obviously follow me on Twitter at Eric underscore Crocker. Uh, We've got the Crocker Report is at Crocker Report. Um, crockreport.com as you guys check it out uh there'll be a lot of really good things coming uh we just launched it a few weeks ago then all this stuff you know started happening uh but we're gonna hit the ground rolling man and um uh you know you guys make sure you guys check that out yeah eric's one of the best in the football twitter community so like he said definitely go go and check that out his work is second to none Taylor and I will be back here on Wednesday with Phil Perry from NBC Sports Boston. The time for that live stream is yet to be determined. So follow us on Twitter to be in the loop on that announcement. His handle is at tkyles39. That's Kyles with a Y. My handle is at Bobby Kravitsky. That's spelled K-R-I-V as in Victor, I-T, 
S-K-Y. And in addition to Sportscaster, you can find Patriots Perspective on all streaming services, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it. It's on it. It's free to subscribe, and it makes a a big difference, excuse me, for Taylor and I. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Stay safe, be considerate, and have a great week.